All right, folks, I have good news and other news. And at this point, you're checking the uh, display on your podcast player device to make sure that you're not listening to, uh, that you didn't have accidentally tap last week's episode. Uh, but in fact, it's not last week's episode. It is this week's episode. I just thought that I would start it off the same way. Um, and uh, and I do, have, I do have both of those things. And in fact, maybe... Maybe I'll just maybe I'll start them all off that way from now on. I mean, every you know everybody's got to have a gimmick, right? So maybe that maybe maybe that'll be my uh, uh, so so you'll always just have ten seconds of uncertainty, wondering did I did I tap the right <laughs> right episode? Uh, but this week's good news is um, well, here it is. Here's the the good news is. Um, what is the good news? I forgot to scroll to the top of my notes before I started this one. Yes, I have notes. I don't just ramble on for, for 30 minutes uh, completely off the top of my head. Uh, although um, although I, I can't say that they're very detailed notes, and I can't say that I stick to them uh, perfectly. But in any case, the good news uh, is that all of you... Uh, Faithful listeners, uh, who I, you know, I, I, so always, so for a couple of years on the tech show, you know, I used to, I used to throw that faithful listeners thing in every so often, and uh, um, maybe, maybe more than every so often, and you know, it's kind of a, it was kind of tongue in cheek, you know, it's kind of, kind of a joke, uh, my faithful listeners, but it turns out that uh, I guess there are some because you are listening in droves to this show right now. We just rebooted it uh, this month. It wasn't even really at the beginning of May. Um, this is only the second episode following the transitional uh, bit that uh, Mark LaCour and I did. The month of May is on is already uh, pretty much at the tide for the third highest uh, month of, of, of how many listens the show got, uh, like in the history of like the tech show leading up until now. It's already tied for the third highest, and I got this episode and one more to put out. So uh, thanks to all of you, you know, and I don't know whether it's just like 10 people that just keep listening over and over and over and over again, or there's actually uh, many thousand of you out there, but thanks for listening. And th- and presumably you're sharing it with your friends and relations because, uh, because uh, like I said, it's already, it's already off the charts. It's good to know that... Uh, you know, hopefully, I guess that means that uh, people like the the idea for the new show. Uh, I hope I hope I can live up to the expectations. And uh, and and so speaking of that, um, please, uh, it, it's helpful to know. Uh, you know, it's helpful to get ideas from the audience. You know, um, not all ideas are good ideas, but you know, it, it's good to know. Like, if you've got an idea, so you know what I really think you ought to do, or what I really think you ought to stop doing, or whatever. Send in your uh, your notes and comments and ideas. Uh, you can just email them to me, Michael at oggn.com, and uh, it doesn't have to be anything fancy. Just say, "Hey, here's a thought for you." Okay. In other news, in other news, I have here. Let's see. I got it right here somewhere. Yes, today is May 22nd, 2023. Um, it, it, it really is. Not, not, not when you're listening to it. I don't know when you're listening to it. But when I'm recording it, it is May 22nd, 2023. And, um, and I have here a report. Somewhere I have here a report from the IEIA, whatever they are. It's like three vowels out of five. 
Here it is. The EIA, the U.S. Energy Information Administration. I wonder how many people are employed by this information administration. Anyway, the EIA expects lower crude prices for the second half of 2023 and for 2024. So that's as of today, May 22nd. The EIA expects lower. So the reason why I call this other news is because, I don't know, maybe that's good news for you, and maybe it's not. I mean, if you're, um, you know, if... Uh, I mean, if, if, if you trade commodities, I don't know, it could, could go either way. If, you're, uh, if you, if you, if you uh, drive uh, an electric car, maybe you say, what the hell, I don't care. Although you probably ought to care because there's other things that it impacts. Um, and, uh, and, you know, so some people here, here in, in Texas and Houston, especially, we kind of like it when, well, well, we don't like it when crude oil gets too high because it, it causes issues. But we don't like it when it gets too low either because that has a real impact on the economy. But anyway, whatever your position the EIA expects lower crude prices, crude oil prices, for the second half of 2023 and for all of 2024. Apparently, all of it, all of it. They're 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 calling they're calling it now. Um, now let's look at why. So here's their report, and the report says we lowered our crude oil price forecast for the rest of 2023 and for 2024 in our May short-term energy outlook. I don't know how 18 months counts as a short term. I mean, I understand that 18 months is kind of a short term if you're talking about five-year trends or 10-year trends or 30-year trends. Um, but at the same time, anybody who tries to call their pockets on on energy, <laughs> energy prices 18 months out, that feels like a long game to me. But anyway, um, and here's why. Here is why. Because we lowered our, we, we lowered our forecast because of relatively rapid declines in the crude oil prices price since April. So there have been rapid declines since April. Yeah, well, I know. We, we've all seen it. Prices dropped a few bucks. Uh, between April 12th and May 4th, Brent fell $16 per barrel to $73. WTI fell $15 to $69. We expect that a drop in OPEC production and increases in demand will lead to relatively moderate price increases over the next few months. The So... The recent price declines are... Oh, here we go. Here we go. So far, all they said was it fell. Yeah, we know it fell. Uh, ah, the recent price declines are caused by a combination of supply and demand market factors. <laughs> no kidding. No kidding. The price declines are caused by supply and demand. All right. That's... It's a shocker to find that out. But anyway... Um, Let's see here. Uh, on the demands, okay. On the demand side, news of a decrease in China's manufacturing purchasing. Blah, blah, so China's index uh, indicator, economic blah, 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 China economic growth, possible U.S. recession, concerns about the banking sector after First Republic Bank was closed, subsequently sold. On the supply side, oil flows from Russia have remained higher, increasing global oil supply. However, OPEC members agreed to cut oil production through twenty three. Okay, so. <laughs> So they don't know. They have no idea. They're, they're just, they're just, uh, they're just identifying all the things that happened in the supply and demand world, and they're saying when we shake that up and we throw the dice, it looks like lower prices. All right, I'm going to come back to this. I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm making a note on my calendar to come back to this at the end of the year and see. Now, you know, they're probably going to be right because they got a fifty-fifty chance, but, uh, but uh, clearly, 
I, I don't think they know. They don't know. All right, moving moving along. Let me go back to my notes. What was the next thing I wanted to talk about? Uh, so this week, this on this week's exciting episode, uh, I, I want to, you know, I had this thought is um, last week, you know, I talked a lot about, and, and, and right now we're still kind of doing broad brush strokes because, you know, I, I'm still trying to figure out how this show is going to go. So, you know, I'm, I'm shooting the big targets first and uh, we'll get to the, to the little targets later. Um, uh, you know, last week I talked about upstream drilling the first well and all the ingenuity involved with that. Um, really, I didn't talk about that as much as I planned to, but um, so we'll have to come back to that later because there's some interesting stuff. Um, but, you know, one, and whenever we talk about innovation and ingenuity, we, we're, we tend to be in this industry a little bit preoccupied with, hold on, I got to make a volume adjustment. Okay. Ah, okay. Then now I can hear myself. Um, uh, we tend to be preoccupied with the the finding and getting the oil out of the ground, that part of the business, what we call upstream. Um, that tends to get I'll steal, steal the spotlight a lot um, when people talk about, you know, all the cool stuff that the industry does and the technology and the science and the engineering. And one area that's often overlooked, actually, all the other all the other areas are often overlooked. But one in particular is is uh, how do we get um, how do you how, so this gooey stuff comes out of the ground? Yes, maybe sometimes it's not that gooey. It depends on what kind of crude it is. Um, but anyway, um, you know this stuff comes out of the ground. Stuff that at one point, not that far back in history, people out in the uh, in the American West would were finding. Um, and, it, and they thought it was ruining their their property. They're like, what am I going to do with all this black shit that keeps coming out of the ground? It's ruining everything. And um, uh, because, because they had no use for it. And so, so, what, so we're talking about something that to a person, um, uh, you know, a person who they saw it not that long ago, couldn't even imagine it. Not only could they not imagine a use for it, but... They they thought it was a real problem. Like, what do we? How do we get rid of this stuff? Um, and and so that's that's the raw material, as it were. It's not very impressive, um, and yet uh, somehow it does a lot of things. And but you know when you put the gas in your car, it's a completely different. It's a different thing. It's a different thing. So how do we get from the uh, that 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 crude? product or that crude, the stuff that comes out of the ground? How do we get from that to all the other interesting things that we can do, whether it's putting gasoline in your car or jet fuel or, or, you know, making, uh, uh, winter outerwear. And, um, and so there's this thing called refining. Now those, and everybody knows, everybody knows about, especially if you live here in Southeast Texas, you know what an oil refinery is. You may not know what it does on the inside, but you sure know, <laughs> they sure are pretty on the outside. Um, and, uh, uh, and there's lots of concerns about, you know, the pollution that they put off and this, that, and the other, but, but does, do you think, do you think that most people in society today, do they really understand what happens like between the time that a, um, you know, that the, the, the that the evil oil drillers, drill the well and they get the oil out um and then it and then and then the the evil the same company on the other end is forcing you to put it into your gas tank so that you can go where you want to go um you know what happens i don't think i don't think most people really understand and there is um and once you get to that um 
I mean, there's a lot of cool stuff that happens along the way, right? Even even at the well well site, right? There's there's processing and there's you know production processing and then there's you know all the transportation things that happen. Well, they're really they're more interesting than they need to be because we won't let a, we can't build any pipelines, which is the simplest, cleanest way to do it. So instead, we got to drive trucks around and we got to do it in, in trucks and boats and whatever else. Maybe not boats. Yeah, I guess boats. Pipelines go underwater. Anyway, um, so. Uh, so, but I want to talk about refining. Um, and I, and like I said, I don't think that people, well, okay. So, so here's a good example. Um, so Mark Lagour, the, the illustrious founder and editor in chief of the oil and gas global network, uh, which we're now, we're trying to, we're trying to just say OGGN now, uh, because and it sounds more media like, and, uh, and it's, and it's shorter and easier to say. So the founder and editor-in-chief of OGG. And he, so he tells this story. I have heard him tell this story not only once to me, at least once to me, but to some other people. And, um, and he swears it's true. So Mark says that this, he was talking to this guy one time. Now this is like a, you know, like a grown, educated uh, adult. And um, not, not that that counts for a lot these days, but anyway, it is what it is. And, uh, and the guy said that he thought, he just assumed that wherever you see a gas station, that's where they drill the well. Like, so we found oil here, we drilled the well, we dropped in a gas station on top of it. <laughs> now, there's reasons why I think, uh, I'm having a hard time believing that somebody r- really thought that because you know that, because you know. We go back to the Beverly Hillbillies, right? Like he shoots at some food up from the ground, come up bubbling crude. Like that stuff doesn't go in your gas tank. Like we all know that. So, but I don't know, maybe he thought the process was really simple. And this is what I'm getting at, which is, um, <laughs> which is that number one, that they drill oil wells on the, on the corner of all major <laughs> intersections. That's, that's where the, that's where the oil is. But number two, uh, people don't, I don't think people get it. So how, how long? Oh, yeah. Okay. I'm, I'm barely, I'm barely in this one. I got lots of time. All right. So, um, who, I think is my mic a little hot? Am I like, am I, I know you have no way of telling me this, but if I've been distorting a little bit, uh, I apologize. Um, because there are no second takes in this show. In case you've ever wondered, there are no second takes in the show. And there's really no editing either. Basically, we just slap the bumpers on and send it out. Uh, speaking of bumpers, by the way, um, that's uh, that's media lingo for, you know, the, like whatever plays at the beginning and whatever plays at the end. And, uh, and I did have a question. I had a question come in. Uh, from somebody uh, asking, so obviously you heard there's new there's new theme music for the new Oilfield Ingenuity show. I love the I know I love the new music. The old music was good, but the, the new I really love the new new music is is cool. Now, um, so I had somebody ask, uh, ironically, did the same person do the music for the new music for this show? Was it done by the same person who did your? Um, Saving the Dream a podcast, which uh, you might remember I mentioned that last week. It's a completely different thing. It's got nothing to do with OGGN, but it's a fun show. Uh, it is a video program, um, so uh, and we have great guests, and we talk about fun stuff, and, and it's about life in America. And, uh, and we have really kind of like open, honest discussions about real things. Like we get out of the echo chamber and all the narrative, and we just talk about, you know, have, have kind of open, intelligent. Try to, we try to be intelligent. We also have a fully stocked bar in the studio, so that really helps 
kind of yeah. lubricate things. So, um, so somebody said, "Is the music done by the same whoever the same person is that did your uh, Saving the Dream music? Is it was that who did um, the uh, Oil Fit Ingenuity?" And ding, 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 yes. So, who? Uh, so, if you were thinking that, you're right. Uh, you don't win anything because I got nothing to give you. But it, it was done by the same person. And in fact, you might remember me. Um, I used to like in my little sign off. For the old the old tech show sign off, and we used to have a lot more formality, right? We had like the intro and the outro and all that. You know, we're stripping it down now, folks. But um, but I used to say thanks to uh, I used to say what was that? I said and, and thanks to uh, Mac Roman, our our, our audio fix. That's what I was. I used to say our audio fixer guy, Mr. Mac Roman, who always makes us sound fantastic. And uh, and so anyway, the, so besides being the audio fixer guy. He's also, he, uh, he also uh, writes music, produces music. And these are the, the, and in fact, he also did, if you caught the short lived um, OGGN unscripted video live stream, we only did a few episodes last year. And for reasons that I don't, I, I, I'm not going to go into now. It, we, we didn't keep it. It was a great show. It was a fun show. But anyway, he did the music for that as well. And, uh, um, and his, and so his, his real name is actually, is actually Trevor. Uh, but, um, but I, there, well, there's a whole story behind why I used to call him Mac Roman, but anyway, uh, Trevor did the music for all of it. And he is also the producer for Saving the Dream. And so he's over there. He's off camera. Um, but if you've, if, you've, if you've watched the show or listened to it, you, well, if you listen to it, you don't know that he's off camera, but you do know that he is, uh, he, he is, he does have a mic and he does chime in from time to time. So he runs the, the audio and he does the live camera switching and all that. Um, and he's the guy when I say, Hey Trevor, can you pull up that thing with the thing? And then he puts it up and you see it on the screen. He does all that. But he also, uh, he also chimes in with some interesting commentary, uh, from time to time during the show. And, uh, he's also our resident conspiracy theorist. So, um, so if you haven't checked out Saving the Dream, uh, it's, I'm telling you, it's fun. It's good. It's good stuff. Uh, you can find that on YouTube. Just uh, say, say, oh, you know, what? just go to savingthedream.net, that website, savingthedream.net, and you will, um, and you, then you can link out, you know, to YouTube or Spotify or Apple or whatever you want. All right. Where was I? Whoa, what are we talking about here? What are we talking about? Oh, okay. So people don't really understand what it takes to go from, from what comes out of the ground to what goes into their tank. Okay. So let's talk about that a little bit. Um, because the question of ingenuity. Now, all of you I know are are, are industry experts, so you're like, ah, we don't you don't need to understand. We understand crackers and distillation and separation and all that stuff. That's fine. That's fine. I don't want, and and I you know the only way that I could give you a real lesson how a refinery works is if I read it to you out of uh, the encyclopedia. But I am actually gonna I'm gonna uh, <laughs> I'm gonna start. Well, no, no. no. Yeah, 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 let's start with that. Let's start with that. I got a, I got a few things I want to say here because what I really want to get to is that uh, in the the ingenuity aspect of this industry is not absent from any part of it. The upstream doesn't doesn't uh, doesn't kind of own the whole thing when it comes to innovation and and smart ways of solving hard problems. Um, uh, all, all the different segments have have make their contribution and and pull rabbits out of hats in some cases, and so uh, so the refining part uh, the the refiners have had to pull some rabbits out of hats, um, and so let's look at why. So the first thing, um, first thing I want to look at here is uh, so I am going to read to you from the encyclopedia. This is the uh, I'm not really going to read to you from the encyclopedia, but um, but there is, uh, if you go to the Encyclopedia Britannica, 
Uh, you just do it online. You don't have to buy the whole, buy all the books. But uh, just, you go to the Encyclopedia Britannica, and there's a whole nice section here on petroleum refining. Because remember, there's, a, you know, refining, there's lots of different kinds of refining. And, um, um, and you know, it's a similar process. And in fact, the chemicals industry, and, you know, a lot, a lot of times, even in the oil and gas world, we kind of we consider chemicals to be our our, uh, uh, you know, our cousins or our adopted siblings or whatever. I mean, because what happens in a refinery and what happens in a chemical uh, processing plant are very similar. Refineries tend to be bigger um, and they run longer, um, but, uh, but it's very, in, in fact, I've, I, have, uh, I have moderated a panel uh, a couple of years in a row now at the Rockwell Automation Fair, once in Houston, once in Chicago, and and we, we we do the oil and gas panel, and then we do the and there's you know these these experts that know a lot more than me, and I'm just the guy that tries to hold a conversation together, and and we have one from uh, um, and we have one they call they call the chemicals panel, the chemicals forum, but we sort of we sort of talk about like chemicals and refining together because they're because they're very similar i want to come back to that though because there's i have a good story about the last panel that we did but um but it's gonna it's it'll be better in context a little bit later so back to the encyclopedia britannica petroleum refining now i'm not going to read the whole article to you but there are a couple of things that i want to um i want to i want to highlight here the refining right at the very beginning uh it says that uh the refining of crude petroleum owes its origin to the successful drilling of the first wells in Ontario in 1858 and Pennsylvania in 1859. Remember, we covered that last time. The one in Pennsylvania is the Drake Well, and the one in Ontario is the one, the other guy, I forget his name, who oftentimes loses the spotlight because Drake tends to be there. But apparently the guy in Canada happened first. Anyway, prior to that time, petroleum was available only in very small quantities from natural seepage of subsurface oil in various areas throughout the world. Yes, we talked about that last Last week as well, just you know, it just bubbled up out of the ground, and people started finding ways to do things to do with it. Um, however, such limited availability. Okay, so uh, there wasn't really any motivation to do any refining to turn it into any sort of refined products because there just wasn't that much of it. So you know, so you got some of it. Now, if you go, uh, if you look elsewhere, I don't think it covers it in this article, but I have seen elsewhere where, like, have you ever wondered who was the first person? I, I, I think about this a lot. There's a lot of things in life when I think, I look at something and I go, you know, who was the first person that, who thought, who saw an oyster and thought, I think I'm going to crack that thing open and eat what's inside of it. Now, I'm glad, whoever it was, I'm glad, I'm glad he did or she did or whatever because, because I love oysters. But but who was the first person who thought that, that was a good idea? Um, there's a lot of things like that in life. In this case, who was the person who looked at that stuff that was bubbling up out of the ground or that they dug, you know, a hand dug well and said, you know, I bet I could turn that into something fancier. Uh, now, it turns out, if you do a little research on that, what you'll find out is, like so many things, it seems like, in life, when you ask who were the first people to do this? It's always the Chinese. I don't know why, but they're the the ancient Chinese, you know, or it's the Egyptians, or it's I guess it's just the ancient civilizations. But but you find out that um, that in China or what is now China, they were they were doing some sort of crude distillation of of crude oil and creating like making something like kerosene or something like that. I can't remember. And then and then other civilizations did similar things throughout the centuries, but um um 
but really there was no like commercialized scaled out process until we figured out how to do commercial drilling right so we covered that in last episode we said hey uh now all of a sudden we got commercial oil um so hey uh that drove innovation and and uh um, and we thought, and we and we created a big big ways to refine that into other products. Originally, it was mostly kerosene, because that was what people needed mostly. Because this all happened really before we were putting gas on our cars. But then the automobile industry shifted the focus to 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 gasoline and diesel and things like that. But um, anyway, let's see here. What did I want to? What did I want to? Um, history. Yeah. So it was in the beginning. It was mostly about kerosene. Um, and, uh, do, 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 do. uh, anyway, somewhere in here, it says, it says that, uh, it, that the, the commercial, commercial refining started in the U S in the 1800s. Um, and, uh, and then of course, as, as the time went on, the 1950s and sixties brought large scale demand for jet fuel and other things. So like, so we're starting to do all, you know, and, and and some of the other things, ethylene and and whatever the other lean thing is, it's not coming to me right now. Um, um, and and then of course, so it's scale. So we we figured out we we humans, uh, the people involved in this industry, they figured out ways to uh, to do this. Now let's just let's just um, do to do to do. Okay, um, where's the where's the part? I can't find the part where it explains how it actually works. Uh, there's all kinds of chemistry involved here. Um, okay, basic refinery processes. So in case you ever wondered, each refinery is uniquely designed to process specific crude oils. So already it's like, it's not even one thing, right? We'll cover this some other time, but there's different kinds of, of you know, not all crude is the same. There's light and heavy and that, that sticky black stuff they do in Canada. And, um, um, in order to meet the business objective, in order to meet the business objectives of the refinery, uh, which usually is to make money, the process designer selects from an array of basic processing units. In general, these units perform one of three functions. So here you go. In case you don't know what happens, you know what a refinery looks like, but you don't know what happens inside. Three basic functions. One, function number one, separating the many types of hydrocarbon present in crude oils. So there are many types of hydrocarbons. Um, and, and so, again, people figured this out a hundred years ago. How to, you know, not, not the way they do it today, not the way, not with some of the, uh, and we're going to get, we're going to get to why, why what happens today is much more advanced and, and sophisticated, but the, the chemistry, the basic chemistry and, and, uh, and the engineering involved in doing this, uh, people, these people were figuring out a long time ago. Many types of hydrocarbons present in crude oils and separating them into fractions of more closely related properties. So, like, it's already, it's already complicated. Um, now, function... Function number two, remember, is three basic functions. The first one is separating the different types of hydrocarbons. Number two, chemically converting the separated hydrocarbons into more desirable reaction products. I don't know what that means, but it sounds hard. Um, it, you know, and I know if you're a chemical engineer, you go, ah, no, it's not very hard. You just run it through this thing over here, and it comes out over there, and now it's the thing that you wanted, and you know, you wanted it to be instead of the thing that it used to be. But... Um, but nonetheless, 100 years ago, right? 120 years ago, 150 years ago. 
purifying the products. Oh, no, here's number three. Okay, so number one is separating the different hydrocarbons. Two is converting them into something that you want. And three is purifying the products of unwanted elements because there's still a lot of crap in there that you got to get rid of to actually refine it and make it what you want. Okay, so that's what happens inside a refinery. And now you can look inside of each of those separation... Uh, separation, absorption, there's all crystallization. Oh, so here we go. So within separation, there's a whole bunch of other Asians. And then within conversion, there's a whole bunch of things, different bits of that that happen, catalytic cracking and da 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 da, da um, polymerization, and then, and, then, um, and then you get into purification. Oh, there's also that, what was that thing? The, yeah, the uh, vis breaking, what does that stand for? I don't remember, but... Uh, it sounded cool when I read about it. Um, and purification, and it has all of its sub-component sweetening and, and extracting this, that, and the other, and clay treatment, and, you know. So um, so if, you're, if you find this even mildly interesting, you go to the Encyclopedia Britannica, look up Petroleum Refinery, and uh, you can read about it. Um, but even if you say, I, I already know more about it than I, than I wanted to know, just based on what you said. The point that I want to make is that um, this is, you know, this is not like, this isn't shit that you just do in a college chemistry class. Well, maybe it is now. I don't know. I don't know what they do in college chemistry classes these days. But, you know, back when these things were figured out, um, uh, this was this is pretty advanced stuff. Now, um, but now here's the real, when it comes to the, the, uh, I, I know because so far all I've said is hooray for the refiners. They figured out how to turn the, the crude oil into something else. Um, and, and people have been doing that for a long time. Um, but now, now let's come back to the progression of what's happened in recent years and the, uh, um, some of the political and social factors. And actually, without leaving, there is one more bit here in the Encyclopedia Britannica, which I want to share. And... Uh, Let's see. And it's what happened in the 1970s. Uh, and some of us actually remember. I mean, I was a kid, but um, I remember environmental concerns by, by 1970. By 1970, the petroleum refining industry had become well-established throughout the world. Delivery of crude oil, blah, 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 40 million barrels. Yeah, it's 1970, 40 million barrels a day. You know what our capacity is today? 100 million barrels. So that was pretty good by 1970. Uh uh, but as the world became, uh, oh, and major concentrations of refineries in most developed countries, we were building these things all over the place uh, because demand was growing like crazy. And, and we now knew how to get the stuff out of the ground in a commercial scalable way. And now we know how to turn it into products that we need in a commercial scalable way. Everybody's happy until somebody says, uh, this is not so good for the environment. As the world became aware of the impact of industrial pollution on the environment, however, the petroleum refining industry was a primary focus for change. You can read that as target. So, um, so here's what happened. Here's what happened. Refiners added hydro-treating units to extract sulfur compounds, because sulfur is bad, right, um, from their products, and began to generate large quantities of elemental sulfur, um, effluent water, and atmospheric emissions of hydrocarbons and combustion products, blah, 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 blah. So, like, all of a sudden, what you read here is that um, the industry said, well, I guess we're going to have to clean this stuff up. We're going to have to meet these new regulatory requirements. We're going to have to, whatever we got to do, because we got to keep, because... 
people need this stuff. So we have to figure out how to, uh, um, how to modify what we're doing, how to, how to, uh, uh, meet these new regulatory requirements or uh, new environmental concerns or what have you. Now, here's the really interesting thing. Um, that trend has continued. Uh, my brother was asking me not long ago, he's like, how come I, it's my, to put diesel in my truck costs so much more than the gas in my car? He was like, didn't it used to be that diesel was cheaper than gasoline? I said, yeah, it was until about, I don't know, whatever it was, 20 years ago when new regulations... I think it was the sulfur thing, maybe. But anyway, there was new regulations that um, that made the, you know diesel had to burn cleaner, and so uh, that made it more expensive to produce. Um, there was less margin in it, so refine. So the companies that ran refineries were less interested in producing diesel because they could make more money on gasoline. So anyway, that's why your diesel costs more. These trends have continued, and there's been more and more, um, more and more government regulation and, and and now we have even it's not always just government but all the ESG and da 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 da, da right so the point is is that uh, refineries have had to continuously oh they had to get they had to find ways to get lead or and not get lead out of it but they had to make gasoline remember there used to be leaded and unleaded I don't know some of you don't remember that I remember that if you've ever wonder why when you go up to the gas pump and it says unleaded and then like why does it say unleaded for the first one why doesn't it just say regular and then the other but because there used to be leaded and unleaded and um uh, so they had to figure that out and they had to, you know, so these new requirements come along and they got to figure out how to make this stuff burn cleaner and how to, and not only how to make it, you know, so the way the product gets consumed by a vehicle or whatever it is, jet fuel, what have you, um, not only did they have to make that happen in a cleaner way or in a more efficient way, better gas mileage, you know, better, you know, uh, whatever. Um, but they also have to figure out how to make the refineries run better and cleaner and, 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 and in the middle of all this, take a wild guess. When was the last time that, uh, that, uh, at least in the United States, that there was a, ref a new refinery built? Well, the answer is there was one built in 2014, um, just a small one uh, up in, where was it? North Dakota or something? I, I can't remember. Anyway, but besides that, this is a small one. It's not, you know, um, and, and there's kind of this new refinery of the future project going on somewhere. But, but basically, we stopped building refineries in the late 70s, early 80s, something like that. So all the so all the gasoline that you put in your car or whatever it is that you buy is or your lawnmower or whatever it's all made in refineries that are like something like 50 years old or older. Um why don't we build any new refineries? Well, uh there's actually a comment from Mike Worth, the CEO of Chevron. He made this comment last year because last year, right around this time last year, 2022, uh, people were complaining, yeah, the gas, price of gas is so high, and, and our, our, our noble president was just calling on the oil, Exxon, and, and you guys, you need to lower the prices of the gas. Well, I'm sure that, well, I shouldn't say I'm sure that. I, I, I want to believe that the president of the United States and, and the, the, the administration um, understands that telling the Exxon CEO to lower the price of gasoline at the pump is like, is, it makes no sense at all. Um, 
they're not really it's not right um uh, and and I and I think I just gotta I just gotta figure that. Well, it sounds like a good thing to do because most people don't really understand how the industry works. So I'm gonna fuss at these guys and, and get them to lower it. But that that's not really that's not really how it works. But nonetheless, Mike Worth of Chevron he he was among many other people. He said, "Look, folks, the problem is not the price of crude. The problem is." Uh, I mean, that contributes. But the problem is we don't have the refining capacity. We are losing refinery capacity in this country. We also have a problem with transportation, but that's for another day. So, uh, and in fact, he said right here, where is it? Where? Uh, here it is. Now, this was quoted in many sources, but I just happen to have the oil price. This was June 3rd, 2022. Chevron CEO Mike Worth's view of U.S. refineries is that there will never be another new refinery building in the United States. And here's why. Um, He said, building a refinery is a multi-billion dollar investment. It may take a decade. It could take 10 years. Um, and they, you know, let's see, who was it that was building one? Shell and somebody else was building one for Keystone, and then they had to kill it because Keystone got killed, which is a whole other episode. But um, he says, so building a refiner is a multi-billion dollar investment. It may take a decade. Now, those of you who make investments or, you know, you know that when you make an investment, that's not money you give away. You expect to get a return on your investment, um, unless it's a PPP loan, in which case they, you don't ever have to pay it back. Um so, uh, he says, uh, it may take a decade. We haven't had a refinery built in the United States since the 1970s. I think it may actually be 1981. But, and he says, my personal view is that there will never be another refinery built in the United States. And then he goes on to explain that it's the regulatory environment. It's, there's no incentive. Like, why would I put up billions of dollars and wait at least 10 years to get my money back, my return, when like, when the, the U.S. government and the entire world is trying to get everybody to quit this product? So like, why would I spin up, why would I build a refinery, or why would I, as an investor, why would I put money into that now? So there's not going to be any more refineries built, and there hasn't been for like 50 years, because this regulatory disincentive has been going on for a long time. That was why all of a sudden the, it just became, it, you know, so it's, there's a whole economics lesson there. But anyway, the point is that we stopped building refineries. Now, back to the point of the ingenuity of the people in this sector of the industry. So everything that they've had to do uh, it, over the years, you know, make it cleaner, make it this, make it that, do make it, make it jump through hoops, you know, make it stand on its head. Everything that they've had to do, they've had, they've had to do with now, granted those old refineries have had, they have, they've, they've added new capabilities and they've built extensions and they've replaced, you know, stuff. It's not necessarily the same stuff that's been there for 50 years, but nonetheless, um, the challenge is how do I take this? Imagine, imagine like you got a, you're driving a car that's 50 years old and, and, you know, and you're going to try to get it inspected and the guy, or even if it's, you know, 
well, yeah, 50 years old would do it. Um, and the guy says, well, where's your catalytic converter? Well, I don't have a catalytic converter. It was built 50 years ago. Well, you're going to have to get one. Well, you can't just go slap one on. Like, it, like now i got to figure out how to make this car. Like, i got to cut the thing and get the catalytic converter in there. And how do you make it work? And, you know, and just imagine that's like the thing after thing after thing after thing. And they have to keep reconfiguring these refineries and creating new capabilities on basically the same old crap that's been there for all this time. Now, to just... Just so that you don't think I'm over editorializing this, um, to put this in perspective, going back to my Rockwell Automation Fair Chemical Industry Forum of last November, um, and, we, and there's some great people on, on the panel. A couple, some of them we've had uh, I had the year before, and we have some great conversations. Uh, Jennifer Abril from SACMA and uh, Helen, what's that one's name? Helen Dodson, who now I believe, or I think she's at... Archer Daniels Midland, which is now ADM. Anyway, so this is chemical industry, but nonetheless, again, it's 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 very similar. Um, at one point, we were talking about, and we're talking about modernizing and digital transformation and all that. And at one point, somebody said, somebody on the panel said something about trying to find, you know, the challenges in trying to modernize these systems is a lot of these SCADA systems, these industrial process control systems were built a long time ago. They were deployed a long time ago. They got computers that like that run them, but these are old computers and, and you can't change it because you, know, you got to have the computer that has that one serial port on the back that the thing plugs into. So they're going through all these challenges. And, and somebody at one point said something about, yeah, and when, and when you can't find the part on eBay and I thought they were joking. And I just kind of laughed and kind of rolled with it. And then a few minutes later, somebody else on the panel, I think it was Helen said, said I think it was, I think it was uh, Ramon Farash who said it. He's, a, he's a, a, a Rockwell guy. I almost said Honeywell. Sorry, Ramon. Um, I, think, uh, I think he was the first person. I, and, and Ramon jokes around. He and I joke around a lot. So I thought he was joking about eBay. And then Helen said something about, so, you know, when you, then you have to go to eBay. And I, and I stopped. And I said, wait a second. You were serious about that? Yes. They're going to, you know, because, um, um, not, not because they don't have the money to buy it new. It's, it's not the problem. It's that this stuff is aging and you have, and you've got people out there, these, these engineers and, uh, and other technical people who are saying, you know, well, shit, we're going to have to figure out how to make this work. And, and so they find stuff on eBay and they retrofit and they, and they innovate and they do all kinds of things to keep the process rolling. Because, you know, if this thing goes down for one day, if a refinery shuts down for a day, that's a seven digit problem. No lie. Um, and so... I, it's remarkable, I think, to me, that um, that these people have. So the re, so here's the message. Here's the message that really we've said to the refiners now for um, for quite a few years. It would seem. Here's what we have told them. We have said, oh, oh, and another part that I left out is um, is like there's all this uncertainty. Um, uh, here, actually, let me, let me, how are we doing on time? I'm running a little bit long, folks, but if you're still listening, bear with me because it will end eventually. But I, there's this other thing, right? So uh, this was McKinsey. McKinsey. I have to put on my McKinsey voice to read this to you. Um, 
<laughs> I won't keep doing that. I'm sorry. Uh, here, here, this is this just came out. This, well, this is last November, and they and they got a, There's a there's a McKinsey paper here uh, titled entitled "Refining in the Energy Transition Through 2040." Um, once again, they're trying to call it through 2040, which I think is a mistake. But um, but they're McKinsey, so I'm sure they know better. And uh, here's the here's the summary up at the top. The size of the global refining industry varies dramatically across different energy transition scenarios by 2040. Assumptions on electric vehicle penetration, policy commitments, and rationalization behavior are key drivers of the difference in outcomes. No kidding. So um, so if I, if I uh, go back over that, the, this whole paper basically what they what they do in this paper. And yes, I read it. Is uh, they they lay out various scenarios that you know related to energy transition. If there's more energy transition, if there's less, if there's more uptake in in, in transportation, if there's more uptake here. Like, so they so they do this typical thing, right? Where they like they lay all these different scenarios of this could you know things could go this way, things could go this way, things could go this way. Same for policy, government policy commitments, and other kind of behavior, and da 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 da. da. And they say depending on all these things, it could turn out to, it could turn out differently, and we don't really know which one we're like we don't really know which one but but in all the scenarios refining capacity in um in most countries uh is at risk and um and there's a risk of it not being able to keep up with uh whatever continued hydrocarbon demand there that will still be there and and the, and but basically they say but we don't but but there's a lot of uncertainty and it could be any one of these scenarios and you could either be like more screwed less screwed maximum screwed so this is what we're saying to the refining industry is the second sector I should say segment is we're saying look we're really sorry about all the uncertainty but please make sure that we have what we need when we need it at a good price. So, so that's what we're asking them to do. We're saying we're trying to change everything. Uh, we're, we're sort of not succeeding. Like we have this energy transition thing, but it's not really going the way we planned. Um, so we're, so we don't really need you forever, but we, but we still need you now. And we need you to commit to uh, not only meeting all these new requirements that we keep throwing at you for how things are supposed to work. And you gotta, and you gotta meet those requirements on all the old, old systems and refineries that, I mean, you can fiddle with it if you like, but don't build a new one. Cause if you build a new one, the licensing is going to be so expensive and the regulatory and the taxing is going to be like, like we're not going to incent you to build a new refinery, but we really want you to keep making what we need while we need it. And we're not sure how long we're going to need it, but we probably need it for longer than we. And so if you could keep doing that and please make sure that the price isn't too high. Otherwise the president of the United States is going to call your boss and tell him to make it cheaper. Oh,